Welcome back to Dating After Death, a podcast dedicated to the journey of finding love again after losing your forever person. And I'm your not-so-anonymous host. When I first started this podcast, the whole purpose for me was to get a wide variety of stories of widows and widowers, girlfriends, boyfriends, fiancés, partners who were trying to find love again. I was also very well aware that my story was mine and would be completely different from everyone else's. Even people who had really similar circumstances to mine, while we have lots of commonalities, everybody truly has their own story, be it the way the in-laws react or the support they have or their children or their culture or their age or whatever. One of the common requests I have had since starting the show is to have somebody on who wasn't coming out of a marriage that was quote-unquote desirable. I think today's guest would push back against that because she was married to a wonderful man who she loved very much, who was the father of her kids, and she speaks incredibly highly of. And he was also a man with a disease of addiction that had a pretty profound impact on their marriage from beginning to end. So I think the expectation is that that experience has an impact on life after in a different way and has an impact on the way someone might approach dating again after coming out of a relationship like that. I'm not sure that today's guest is going to have the answer you anticipated, or maybe she totally does. <laughs> this is why I love this podcast, because... I love learning new things. I love when I have an assumption or an expectation and it's totally busted open because I actually have no idea since I'm not living anybody else's experience. And I think it's so powerful to collect stories and to share them and then to be able to relate. And it's also a little bit mind-blowing to me how even in the most different of stories, there's always something you can relate to. Or at least that's how I feel. Even if I have nothing in common with this person from the outside, there's something about grief, about trying to date again after thinking you were done doing that. That's relatable. I am so honored to be able to collect these stories and share them with you all and to be connecting with you through email and Instagram and the Patreon and all these different ways that we have to connect. At the end of the day, we're helping each other and we're building each other up and we're taking this thing that is so emotional and difficult and draining and exhausting and making it palatable. I learn more from you than you do for me, I guarantee it. I love those messages where people are reassuring me as well because it's really good for me to know that I'm not alone in these things, too. If you are a regular listener here and you feel like you never quite get enough, that's what the Patreon is for. There's more about my life and my relationship and some other things here and there. And it's also just a really kind way for you to support the podcast. So if you are interested, you could check it out at patreon.com slash datingafterdeath. And then just another quick thank you to our sponsor, BetterHelp. 
I'm sure you know by now, but BetterHelp is an online therapy platform where you have a huge array of therapists to choose from. You can work with therapists until you find a perfect fit for you. You have 24-hour access to them through texting and journaling. The platform is robust and beneficial and mindful of your finances as you need to think about how to best spend your money in ways that are going to be good for you and for your family at this time. So because they sponsor the podcast, we get a discount code, which is 10% off your first month's membership. And that will be automatically applied if you go to betterhelp.com slash dating after death to sign up. You can do couples therapy. There's therapy for teens or just for you. So without further ado, let's get to today's episode with Sarah from The Little Pocket Widow. I feel like this is one of those conversations that people have been really asking me for a lot. There's been a lot of feedback on the podcast that there's a lot of people who like were with their person for such a long time and it ended in a positive way. And they were like, I just want to hear from somebody who had it a little harder. So you've been very transparent about your story. And so I reached out to you. And I'm so honored. (laughs) Oh, oh my gosh, of course. Um, So if you want to just start by telling us about your marriage and about sort of life before? Yeah, of course. So my husband's name was Justin and he and I met back in 2009. We met online actually on match.com. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So this was kind of before online dating was this big thing like it is today. But yeah, so I was living in Belgium at the time, which is where I'm from originally. I was born and raised there. Okay. And he was here in California, in San Diego. So I was like planning on moving to New York to go to fashion school. And one day, I don't know, I had like this ad in my email, um, like a free trial for Match.com. And I was like, oh, why not just try it? So I just signed up. um, And I thought, because I didn't know anyone in New York. And I'm like, I'll just try that. So then I don't not really sure what match was doing, but they matched me to Justin. And I looked at his profile and I thought it was cute. But then I looked and I saw, oh, he's in San Diego. So I kind of closed his profile. Yeah. And so the next day I got a message from him saying, oh, I noticed that you looked at my profile and he was all intrigued because he never had met anyone from Belgium. So we just started messaging back and forth. And it turned into these really long emails pretty quickly. And at the time, I still didn't think anything of it. You know, I kind of looked at it as like a pen pal, really. Yeah. This was like back in the day when Match was all through email, right? I mean, I guess. I mean, I know he was talking to some other people and he was meeting up with them in person. But because this was, you know, we're in different continents, it just this is what it turned into. Yeah, but there was like no app or anything, right? No, there was no app. It was just like the website. And then, you know, we moved it over to email. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, so this went on for like two months, like every day we would send these really long emails to each Mm other. And I mean, yeah, it was just really nice. And then finally he was like, I think we should talk on the phone. Mm -hmm. So we, we did that. And, you know, immediately there was just this connection between us and it just felt so natural and so comfortable. And Mm -hmm. then he was like, I think we should meet in person. Oh my goodness. And I was like, I don't know. You know, I wasn't really open to it because I was just so focused on like trying to get to New York and just figuring out my life and all of this stuff. 
Yeah. And then I asked my friend about it and she was like, what are you waiting for? Like how many mm-hmm. times in your life will you get a chance to like go meet some cute guy who lives in paradise and he was offering <laughs> to pay like half of my ticket. So wow. she's like, just go on an adventure, you know? And then, yeah, like three weeks later I went um, to San Diego, San Diego, which is still like <laughs> the craziest thing I probably have ever done. Cause who goes and meets like some guy from the internet? Who did you tell at that point? Did you tell like your family or? I mean, my parents knew at the time, I mean, okay. I was 23. Um, yeah. And then like a few of my close friends knew. Yeah. But again, I still didn't really think anything of it. I'm like, okay, I'm going on this on this trip. Yeah. So I went and I mean, up until now, it's still been like two of these most magical weeks of my life. It was like, like I was in a movie, like it was just, I don't know, like he was just so funny and charismatic. And Mm -hmm. I just kind of found home with him immediately, like as soon as we met in person. A week into the trip, he's like, I think you should move in here. And just go to fashion school here. And I was like, okay. So, I mean, it was all just very crazy. So, yeah. So we just, you know, we just dove like all in. Yeah. And um, so, yeah. So then I went back home and we started planning this whole situation. But it pretty quickly turned into kind of craziness. Like it was hard, you know, doing the long distance dating and the visas and like cross cultural differences. And like, I I don't know, like I started having fears and second doubts about leaving my country and like all of these things. Yeah, I think it just kind of became messy really quickly. Like we just both made some mistakes, which like there was infidelity involved on both of our parts, Um, Mm. just kind of became a mess, like a long distance mess, I would call it. But the love was there and the connection was there. And I think we just decided to, I don't know, we couldn't stay away from each other. So then Mm. nine months after we met on match, like we just got married. And we always said, we just got married so we could (laughs) date because we just couldn't deal with the long distance. Like it just was not working for us. Yeah. Can I ask, why did you decide to get married instead of just dating? I mean, it was just too hard with the flying back and forth because like at the time, you know, because I was from Belgium, I could only stay here for 90 days at a time. Yeah. On a, you know, like on a regular travel visa. And then it just, I don't know, like cost wise. And I don't know, it just, it was just too hard for us, I guess. We just couldn't deal with all of that. And, you know, I couldn't start my life in Belgium or yeah. I mean it just felt like everything was all over the place and I couldn't move. You wanted to be settled. Right exactly I mean our whole story is kind of crazy just in general but yeah like that's like a crazy part of it for sure. So I moved to San Diego and pretty soon it just became clear like we both just had a lot of I think trauma from our past like we both come from very broken families and just mm. had a lot of shadows and just all of these things and never had any healthy role modeling, I guess, for Mm. what marriage should look like or relationships. And it just, I don't know, it was very hard. I think for me, I kind of turned to like my default, which was like anger. And then he kind of turned inward, which was like avoiding and escaping, Mm. which kind of led to him drinking a lot. And then that kind of grew into like full-blown alcoholism. Yeah. And then, yeah, like that's kind of like when addiction just started taking over our lives, you know, for our whole entire marriage. Like we were married for 11 years. Oh, wow. And yeah, like it was just almost it became like this third entity in our marriage, mm. really. 
Um, so it was something that was you were openly discussing as a couple. He wasn't hiding it. I mean, at first he was hiding it because I think, you know, we didn't really know what was happening. I don't think you really, yeah. you know, you don't even know that is happening until you're like, oh, I think there's a problem. Yeah. So at first it was kind of like secretive and he was hiding it and in denial and all of this stuff. But I think, I don't know, maybe like two years into it. I mean, it just became very clear, yeah. um, like, okay, there's a problem. And ever since that moment when he kind of admitted that to himself and to me, he really, he was always fighting it. You know, he mm -hmm. went to rehab six or seven times. Wow. He was always in therapy, always had a psychiatrist, 12 step meetings. I mean, all the things like everything yeah. that people told him to try, like he, he tried it all. And did you do Al-Anon or did you do therapy? Yes, definitely. I mean, same for me. Like I was in yeah. therapy, we were in therapy together. Like I did Al-Anon. Um, I mean, yeah, all the things like um, yeah. we were definitely fighting it. Yeah. But it was, you know, it was very difficult. So yeah. And then how did things end? So then I guess like about nine months before he died, you know, he had about, I think like about a year of sobriety and he had relapsed mm -hmm. um, drinking and mm -hmm. everybody was just kind of saying, I mean, everybody like his family, like, I think you should come stay with us for a while um, and just let him, I don't know, just kind of figure it out. And yeah, I really felt like, everything inside me was like screaming, don't, don't go like, don't leave him. But I just listened because you know, I had at this point, we had two small children yeah. already. So I just kind of listened and went along with what everyone was saying. And I and I left, um, I came to stay with my in laws. And then while I was gone, he had like connected with an old friend who ended up introducing him to heroin. Oh, and that was kind of became kind of like the end he wasn't able to come back from that. And he, yeah. I mean, he tried so hard. And then anyways, like fast forwarding, he finally decided to go live in a sober living home. And then he had like two months of sobriety. And I don't know, like he relapsed just like one more time. And that, mm -hmm. that was it. Like he died of like an accidental overdose on, okay. on March 6th in 2021. So <sighs> yeah. What was that experience like for you just in general as his wife and like sort of what demons did you fight? And then I was really interested in hearing how that felt after for you. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's been a whole learning process for me too. Um, I think in the beginning or for most of the time, really, I was blaming him. I was blaming the addiction. It was all his fault. Like if he could just get it together, then everything would be great. And it wasn't until like, I think the last year that I really started realizing like my role in things. I mean, not that I caused anything, but mm -hmm. I feel like I certainly didn't help things like the way I reacted. And I just, you know, addiction, it's such a hard thing to understand. I mean, it took me like most of our marriage to even really even living with it to really begin to understand it myself. And yeah. I just really had to, you know, take a look at my own behavior. And it really, I mean, it helped me grow a lot as a person. And I just think that, I mean, the biggest thing I've learned was that like addiction, like it really is not a choice. Like I just yeah. kept thinking like, why can't he just get it together? And why don't you do this and that? And you know, like being controlling, always trying to fix. And I just, 
I mean, there wasn't. I mean, I was powerless. And I realized in the end, like, he really was powerless. Like, the things that I have seen him do, like, no one in who had who would have like a choice like would expose themselves like to the things that he like exposed himself to yeah i i don't want to sound trite but there's like this part of me that just really wants to push back against you putting any blame on yourself yeah for this um i i'm sure that's a natural tendency but like and things that you work through all the time and i know a marriage is a marriage right and we both contribute to the marriage but right that I don't know. I'm listening to you and I'm like, no, 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 (laughs) this is addiction. It's not. Yeah. But it's just, you know, like there's so many responses where I could have just, I mean, you know, and I look back and also I try to give myself grace and be kind to myself. Like that's a big thing too, because I did what I thought was best at the time. And it's easy to look back and think, I mean, I'm sure we all do that. Oh, I could have said this better. I could have done that better. And it's just, yeah, like I said, like there was a lot of anger from my side and I wish that I knew how to handle that better, you know? Yeah, it sort of seems like an impossible situation. Right, and it was, yeah. The the big question I have around his death is really one that I feel like is so hard to even talk about, but like, can you address if there was a sense of relief on your end or how you think it may have compared to someone who wasn't struggling through their marriage as much? Sure. You know, I think, I mean, I'm sure I I can imagine like for some people, like there would be relief, but ironically enough, like in, like I said, like in that last year, when I really started to kind of work on myself, like in a deeper way and not just look at him, Mm. our marriage really improved. Like we were actually in a really good, amazing place in our marriage wise, like Mm. when he died, which is like something I'm really grateful for. But I think, I don't know how to like really say this, I guess relief, um, like the anxiety is gone. Cause like before I, f- mm. I lived in this constant anxiety, cause you never knew what was going to happen at any given time. Like there was just always this like, yeah, like anxiety and fear. And so that is gone. But now, you know, it's replaced with grief and all kinds of other feelings. Sure. sure. So it's just like a different, different kind of pain, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Just a couple more questions about this and then we can move on to the topic at hand. But what has it been like for your family to sort of watch you walk through this and then in the aftermath? I mean, I think it's been, you know, very, very hard for my family. I mean, especially my mom, like she, you know, like all of us, I think just really blamed Justin and she didn't understand it. I mean, I actually like before he died a few months, like I showed the room that he was in and this is going to be graphic. So I'm, I apologize, but there was just bottles mm-hmm. everywhere. I mean, it was just like, like horrifying. Yeah. And I showed her on FaceTime, you know, cause she was in Belgium. And I think she still tells me to this day, that's when she understood. Mm. Oh, wow. Like this is like, he really has a disease cause no person in their right mind, you know, like nobody would ex- like just do this to themselves. This. And um, I think, yeah, like it had to take that for her to understand. But yeah, like everybody in the whole family has dealt with all these feelings, you know, the anger and the blame. And I mean, so many emotions. Um, yeah, I could see that. And how old are your kids now? They're three and four, almost five, actually. Okay, it's been a year? Yeah, like 20 months. So they were a year and a half and three at the time. Okay. 
So obviously this was outside of their consciousness. I mean, I sure hope so. I mean, I, I don't know if my three-year-old has any memories because she's very, I mean, has an amazing memory and an amazing brain. But I just, yeah, I think, I don't know if they actually you know, have memories of this. Yeah. Okay, so I put up a question on Instagram the other day about if they ever thought that they, deep down inside, if they would love again. And I noticed that you've responded no. Right. So I think from the very moment he died, I started thinking about this very question. Like, can Mm -hmm. I love again? Is this it for me? And if this is like, is that all I get in this life? Like this crazy story, you know? Yeah. But it's just, it's not that I don't, want to like I'm very open to it but it's just so hard to imagine like I can't even imagine it like even in my fantasies like it's just hard to imagine what that would look like because as crazy as my marriage was like he really was my best friend and my person and you know all of these things and I just yeah like it's just I I I just can't picture it but that doesn't mean it can't happen Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm wondering. When I think about that question, I completely understand the answer of no in in these first couple of years, especially where it's just like, it feels so impossible. Right. But then I do wonder, do you picture or do you desire to be alone or a solo woman, single woman for the rest of your life? Or do you have hope for love and you just can't quite picture it, you know? And I think those are maybe two different questions. Right. And I mean, I think I've gone like back and forth. I mean, to be honest, like the thought of being alone doesn't scare me. Whereas like my younger Mm -hmm. self, I think it would have totally scared me because I was very much like, oh, I want to get settled and I want to get married and all of these things. And now it's like, even though it was crazy and it ended really tragically, I feel like I got my great love and it's like, Mm -hmm. I'm grateful that I got it and you know, I don't want to be greedy. And it's like, I don't know, like, if if I can have another one, then that's great. So but it's not, I'm, I think I would be okay. Like, if this was it for me, but yeah, of course, you know, I mean, there's always like a hope, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't think it's greedy to want love again. (laughs) (laughs) You're allowed to have more than one great love. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So have you done any dating? Have you thought about it? Have you met people? So I did date. I wasn't planning on dating at all. I just really did not want to do dating apps or anything like that. And I wasn't even interested in dating at all. But like people, mainly my mother-in-law, really, she just was like, I think, I don't know, like, she just always has been very supportive and encouraging and like, Mm -hmm. really wanting me to like, find someone again. So I was living with her at the time. And at this point, I was like, okay, I'll entertain your idea. So I don't want this dating app. I think it was Hinge at the time. And it was just the most weird, absurd situation. But like, I was sitting there on her couch with her swiping. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) <laughs> through these guys and it was just I'm like what is happening and I was just like no, no I know I was like I can't do this and she was all like yeah wait I want to look at this one so I was on there for 
like a week, I think. And I talked to like one person and I'm like, I can't, I can't do this right now. Was it the way the conversation went or just something in general? I mean, I think I just wasn't even ready. I was just kind of like, Mm -hmm. I just was curious to see like how I would feel and just even looking at other men looking that way. And, you know, like I really didn't have any intention of actually like moving forward with anything. And then, yeah, like I had like one conversation and I mean, if you can even call it that. And I mean, I think I was very spoiled with the way Justin and I, like, I was like, where's my long email, (laughs) you know, (laughs) because people just send these like one liners and I'm like, okay, I don't know if people just don't know how to have a conversation anymore or what's going on. It just wasn't right for me at the time. Yeah. Hinge of a far cry from long emails getting to know one another. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It was very different, different experience maybe a month or so later. I mean, I want to preface this with a little story first. Like a few months before he died, actually, we were playing this truth or dare game for couples. And there was this question, like, have you ever had a crush during your marriage? So we were telling each other and I told him about this guy that I took um, these two classes with in college. And he was like, I knew it. (laughs) But nothing had ever happened, you know, but there was just always kind of this connection and this vibe. So then he's like, I want to see his profile. So I showed so I sat there with Justin, like looking at this guy's Facebook page. Yeah. So anyway, so fast forward 15 months, I think after Justin died, I just had this urge to send a message to him. Yeah. To this guy and just see how he was doing. I had no idea if he was married at this point or had a girlfriend or whatever, or even remembered Mm -hmm. me for all I knew. So, but then he did. It ended up, he's like, oh, I think we should go to lunch. And so we went and it was very weird because, you know, I I was so nervous because it wasn't even a date, but it felt like it could be a date. So it was just this very weird situation kind of, but then it turned into this like five hour long lunch and the connection was still there and yeah so we ended up dating oh yeah so that was interesting timing so he was just single he was just single not married no girlfriend wow Um, yeah and it just I don't know you know there really was something there we really connected but from the beginning I had kind of said like I'm not really ready for anything but then I think these feelings came anyways Wait, I'm sorry. I have another logistical question. So you came to the States for your undergrad. Is that right? I mean, I just came when I married Justin, basically. Like I was trying to go or I was planning on moving to New York to go to school. But then that kind of got thrown off when I met Justin and we got married. And then after we were married, I kind of went back. Then I went to school like after we were married and I was already here. And so you met this guy while you were taking classes in California? Yes. Okay, got it. I was wondering where he sat on the timeline. (laughs) Yeah, I know. There's just so many like things. Okay, so you met for lunch. It was amazing. It was amazing. And then, yeah, like we just met up a second time. And at this point, it was still kind of unclear. Like, okay, is this a date? Like, are we friends? Like, what is this? So then like, finally, he was like, are you open to dating someone? Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I don't know, maybe. And then he said, you know, maybe you and I should date. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And then I was like, so now what what does that mean? And then he's like, okay, I think we should kiss. And then... (laughs) And then yeah, just like that, like I had my first kiss. And it was just I don't know. I mean, it was all very weird. Yeah. 
as I'm sure it is for everyone, like going through this the first time after yeah. their spouse died. Okay, so, then, so how long? Yeah, go ahead. Continue. Yeah. Yes, we said we were kind of gonna keep it casual, but that didn't really work. Like I think pretty soon, <laughs> I don't know. Like we both feeling like developed kind of you know like serious feelings, and then before I knew it, it was like I was a girlfriend and mm. all of these things and. I just started getting very overwhelmed. I mean, this was like, mm -hmm. I think, two, three months into it. I mean, it all moved very quickly. Well, this was two or three months after Justin died. No, no, no. Like, oh, into the dating. After into the dating. Okay. And how long had it been? It was 15 months after okay. he died. Things just started getting like more serious you know I had never intended on dating and it just kind of it was it was really weird it was kind of like I stumbled into it and all of a sudden it's like I'm a girlfriend and you know like we we had all these questions like how are we gonna do this and my kids and yeah. like all of this stuff and I just started realizing I really wasn't ready for any mm. of it and I couldn't answer these questions I didn't know what I wanted it to look like and I think I was also going through a move. I was living with my in-laws and yeah. I was going to move to my own house. And I knew that was going to bring up a lot of grief for me. Mm -hmm. Seeing all of my things again, which had been in storage since he had died. And mm. so I think after like three months or four months, almost like I kind of told him we, you know, needed to take a step back and I need to just kind of be in my grief and go through these motions and this move and like all of these things. And that's kind of where we are right now. So we're like taking a break or whatever you want to call it. I don't even know. Okay. But how did he react to all of that? I mean, you know, he was very understanding of the grief. And you know, whenever he wasn't, I mean, he really was like open to learning. I don't know, I even sent him two of your podcasts, even which he listened oh. to. So sweet. Which have been so helpful. And, you know, like he was very, I mean, he really wanted to deal with this. Like, even though this is, you know, it was a lot, but he was open to dealing with it. And then he was like ready to kind of move forward. I just wasn't in the right frame of mind for it. Yeah. Know. So it sounds like things are like up in the air. Right. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So it's hard to ask too many questions about it because I'm sure he'll listen. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. I mean, you can ask questions. Um, I think I told him when you reached out um, that I was going to be doing this. So, yeah. I'm just comparing a little bit to when I was dating at first too. And when people, not necessarily with my boyfriend, but with some of the other guys that I dated before him, people would go very quickly to like, calling you babe or like my girl or right. you know and I would have this reaction like I'm not your girl right like we just met each other <laughs> I'm a husband's girl you right. know yeah um, so yeah I'm wondering if, I'm just thinking about the way my body sort of reacted to some of that stuff I mean that's exactly how it felt it was like no, like, I don't know if I'm a girlfriend, I'm a wife, like I'm someone's wife still, like I still mm -hmm. was wearing my rings. And like, I just, I, I don't know, I just, I mean, and that's why your podcast has been so helpful. It's like people talk mm -hmm. about like, your heart expands, and you can love two people. But I think I'm still figuring out like how to do that. I guess. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's just, I mean, how do you do that? Like, it's just it's such a complicated, I mean, it really was like my body was responding like, no, it just felt very everything inside me was like screaming, no, like I can't, this yeah. doesn't feel right right now. Yeah. And then like you add on this layer of being called a girlfriend or saying a boyfriend and you're like, well, I'm 
this age and that feels weird. And I've been married for however many years and it just feels so weird. I mean, yes, exactly. It was like, how am I back to being a girlfriend? And it's like, but I'm also a mom and they're not his kid. And it was, I don't know. I just had a very hard time. How is Saul supposed to like fit together? Yes. I notice also my friends and family cannot use that term. My mom will say, you're... Um, your love interest. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> okay. I know, because it's, I mean, it's a very odd dynamic. I mean, all of it. It's very, it's, it's very odd. Yeah. How do you feel like going through this marriage that was, it sounds like tumultuous and rocky from the, the beginning, jump, pretty much. Yeah. How do you feel like that colors your approach to love and relationships? I mean, I think I go into it very differently than back then. I, I feel like very much like my eyes are really open now and I've done a lot of work on myself and I'm just very aware of just like where my trauma lies and like all of these things. So I think, I mean, I've learned so much from my marriage. So I think I know what I want. I think I know now what healthy should look like at least. Mm -hmm. Even though I had a very tough marriage, I think it really did teach me a lot. I mean, yeah. Okay. So what do you feel like, what are you looking for? Let's say things with this guy either work out or don't. What are your non-negotiables? Yeah. I mean, I think at at a very minimum for me, like the most important thing is like that people are working on themselves and just kind of aware of themselves. Like that's like a big thing to me, you know, like whether they're in therapy or willing to do therapy if they need to, you know, I'm a big fan of therapy for everyone. And I just, me too. Yeah. And I think, you know, we all could use it. And I just, you know, like that's just so important for me that people are just kind of aware of their own baggage and, you know, trauma and like things and just open to do that kind of work like that's like the biggest thing and if that's there then I think you know like you can really make anything work if both people are just like in that same mind frame where they're just like willing to work on themselves first yeah Yeah. so this is so interesting because you know obviously the podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp I am like a huge proponent of therapy for everyone and also I feel it necessary to say just to make sure that there's no standard set here that my boyfriend is not in therapy and he's not really a huge believer in therapy and right. I think it's cultural right some of its yeah. bad experience with therapy and and the only reason I'm saying this is because like sometimes I watch other widows lives and I hear them talk about their person or their, you know, their new boyfriend or girlfriend. And I think to myself, like, well, my guy doesn't have that. Is he supposed to? Is this a requirement? And like, am I missing that piece? Right. Right. But like what he does have is this ability to be self-reflective and to talk through things. I guess I just want to put it out there for those listening that I don't necessarily feel like therapy is a requirement, but it sure as heck is nice if somebody is very self-aware and open to talking about (laughs) And I mean, just what you just mentioned, like being self-reflective. I mean, that really is the key, I think. Yeah. Because I mean, I, I mean, neither one of us, like neither Justin or me, like we were not able to do that when we met. And I think it would have made a world of difference. Um, Yeah. Do you have this thing where you feel like people that anybody you date needs to have gone through a rocky life experience? Or are you seeking opposite of that? Or I mean, it's not that I would necessarily 
seek that, but it's almost like I, I almost think like, I mean, I don't know that I'm curious about that myself. Like if I could connect with someone who hasn't, because this guy I dated, like he had gone through some of his own struggles, like with some difficult things in life. And I think he knew how to talk about dark, difficult things things and yeah. I can imagine for someone who's never gone through anything like this it can all be very you know dark and overwhelming and so I don't know it, it's not a requirement but I do wonder like how that would work yeah like if you could even connect on right. a deep enough level exactly yeah yeah Okay, so you're looking for someone who's self-aware. Anything else? Anything else that, especially having young kids? Yeah, so that too, like someone who obviously like likes kids. Because I mean, that was another thing that really got in the way, like, of, you know, with this person I was dating, it's just like, or not in the way, but it was, I don't know how people do this with young kids. And it was like, oh, I was trying to have this separate kind of almost life with him. And then I was trying mm -hmm. to be a mom. And I was so tired and exhausted. Like I just couldn't, like I was sleep deprived and I couldn't like doing the two things separately was like, it felt impossible. So yeah. it's almost like someone has, has to either like completely step into my life and like do this with me. Mm. But I just, I wasn't ready for that, but it's almost like that's how it would need to be. I think, cause yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know how else I could keep anything else up. <laughs> Yeah. And like the trickiest part about that is one you, to like just bring somebody in feels like intrusive to right. me. At least. Yes. Yes. And, and then also like, how the hell are you supposed to build a beautiful relationship and romance with your children around? Exactly. Exactly. And that was just kind of the problem too. For me, it's like, okay, I'm trying to date this person and I'm trying to like build something, but it just, it just wasn't working. And I'm sure the move and all of it like just made it even worse, but I, I don't know. That's, yeah. I, I wasn't able to figure that out yet. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, the natural thing is to say like, okay, you get babysitters and you have the kids, you know, with the in-laws or pa parents or whatever, but not everybody has that. And right. like babysitters are freaking expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. So it can be hard to find. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, it's just really hard. It is to, like work really it all hard. in. Yes. And you know, I feel like with these young, young children, I mean, I don't know. It just felt kind of like, yeah, like impossible because I mean, they knew I was going to going out with a friend. Like I didn't even know how to explain this to them. I didn't want to yet even yeah. because, you know, like I don't want to bring anyone into their life if I don't even know what we're doing yet. So yeah, that's how I felt too. Yeah. It is a lot. Sarah, do you feel like because your circumstance feels so different from mine specifically, right. it's a little bit harder for me to ask the right question. So I'm wondering sure. if like, there are things that you want to talk about, or you want to share that you feel like maybe other widows who are in a similar circumstance, it would be good for them to hear from you. Um, I mean, I think like for me, every person is unique, every marriage is unique, every loss is unique. So I think, you know, everybody goes on their own journey. But like, for me, what's been just the most important thing is, again, like doing this work on myself and doing healing for myself and doing therapy and just kind of coming to this acceptance of my story. Because a lot mm -hmm. of the time, I think, and especially with social media, I felt yeah. this envy, you know, of these other widows and like, oh, they have this great marriage and this great love story. And it's just, you know, like when you fall into that comparison hole, like it's just really not a good 
place to go. And I just really had to come to this, yeah, like acceptance, like this is my story and to really own it and to just accept like there was good and bad and there was a lot of darkness, but also a lot of light. And I think, I mean, that's been the biggest healing for me is to just like really own my story and to do the work on myself because I'm the one that's left here now and I have to move forward with all of that. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the content you've been creating? Yeah. So it just started, I don't know, like I was just so desperate, like when Justin first died for something and I went on Instagram and I don't even know how I found the grief or widowed community, but I did. And it just was so helpful to just read other people's posts and what they were going through. And I just felt so isolated and so alone Mm -hmm. and I couldn't you know, I I felt like there was really no place to take all these deep and dark things that I felt like I had to say. And at first, it just kind of started as just this, this thing where I was just writing for myself, you know, I just needed to get it out. Um, And then looking for community and looking for support. And then, you know, it's been slowly growing. And now people are reaching out to me like every day telling me their stories. And it's just, you know, how it's helping them. I mean, that was never intended. It just became this account about talking about addiction openly and just all this, like the good and the bad, like I share all of it. Yeah. And I think, yeah, like people really respond to that because a lot of people feel like they can't talk about it. I mean, which makes me so sad. I mean, I've, I was in that place before, so I get it. Yeah. Does your family know? About the page. So the page is called The Little Pocket Widow, which I will probably already have told you at the beginning, but (laughs) just in case. Yeah. um, So at first it was a private thing. It was even a private account and I kept it to myself. But then as I started getting just more messages, I don't know, it started growing a little bit and I have started sharing it with friends, with family. People will ask me, how are you doing? And I'm like, well, there you go. Like, read here's about my, it. Read about <laughs> yeah. it. Exactly. Yeah. Because, you know, I think sometimes it's easier for people to read than when you just bombard them yeah. with all of that. Um, yeah. Maybe because his family was very aware sort of of the illness that he suffered from. This isn't there. But was there any worry or apprehension on your part about sort of protecting him or his legacy and all of that? Yeah. I mean, and there still is that. Um, because, you know, a lot of the time people who kind of go through these more stigmatized losses, like we are met with judgment and just misunderstanding and ignorance and just, you know, and I mean, there's definitely that feeling like you want to protect them. I mean, even on my account, even, and I mean, but that's kind of why I started writing about this. I just want to show the world like that there's a person behind all of those things, you know, behind all the darkness, like there's an actual human being who was amazing. And I think it is really brave of you to do that. The way that you share is just, I'm sure it is so comforting to other people who can't talk about it in the same way that you do and really, really powerful. So thank you for doing that work. I think that's really incredible. Thank you. What do you feel like the people you talk to, what do they want to hear from you? I mean, it's it's interesting, like a lot of the time, I mean, I, I've gotten a lot of questions, like, how do you do it? I guess they ask me about like my, my mindset about it, because they say like, I've never heard somebody talk kind of almost in a positive way about mm-hmm. their addict, if you will. And I just, again, it goes back to doing the work and like healing and just really 
learning about addiction. And I just, you know, I always send them kind of in that direction to really like learn what is addiction because we take it so personally and then it's, it's so easy to become bitter and angry. You know, I've been there. And so they just kind of ask me those kinds of questions. Like, how do you heal all of that? And how do you almost find purpose in your pain? Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, I'm really amazed and impressed by everything that you're putting out there. So people should check that out, especially if this is relevant. But even if it's not, I think like I'm learning from your page and a few others that are similar, just like you're saying about the humanity behind behind the addiction. And I love that, like to read about the strong that love that you carried for your husband and what an amazing guy he was. And it's like, I think as a society, we tend to think like disease first yes. instead of human first. So you're really um, helping open eyes about that. Thank you. Yeah. Do you want to do some quick questions? Yeah, definitely. Okay. All right. Okay. So when you did your hinge profile with your mother-in-law, <laughs> did you put your widow <laughs> status on there? Um, I did not. Because I think I was like warned or I read some people like who said, you know, some people kind of prey on that. So I was kind mm-hmm. of afraid. But I did immediately kind of if I did talk to someone, which I mean, I was on there for a week. I mean, I always <laughs> immediately told them um, that I was a widow. Yeah. Do you so- see yourself going back on the dating apps in the future? God, I really, really hope not. But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, like I never say never, but I yeah. just really hope I don't find myself in that situation again. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Could you envision being married again someday? I mean, I'm open to it. Okay. And what about having more children? Um, I mean, that's a tough one because we wanted to have more children. Oh, you did? Um, So yeah, I don't know, like maybe. Okay. All right. So it sounds like things got intimate with the guy you were dating. So did you have him come to your house? Or can you give us any details about how that worked out? (laughs) Um, I think my situation is going to be very unique. So I'm not sure how helpful this will be. (laughs) But I was living at my in-law's house at the time. So that wasn't really an option. However, my father-in-law, he um, had, he always goes to the casino and he gets these free hotel rooms. Oh my God. Yes. A week. And at one point he joked like, oh, I can, you know, I get a room every week. And he's like, I'm serious. So that ended up becoming oh, a Oh my gosh. Where he would like get these rooms for us, which was like the most awkward, crazy thing ever. <laughs> I just, I still don't even know. I don't know. Yeah. Your in-laws were like basically sponsoring your dating life. <laughs> yes. I mean, it really was like that. It was just, I was just really like, what is going on right now? But then, you know, like we just went with it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it sounds weird, but it's also like really sweet how much they want something beautiful for you. Right. So, I, you know, I felt very supported and I just, you know, very just lucky that I have that support like in my life and yeah. that they just like cared about me enough. Aww. Yeah. That's great. Okay. Could you date somebody named Justin or who looks like him? Um, I mean, I think it would be really, really hard. Um, and definitely like if I would meet someone on an app, I think no, but if it would happen in real life and I really meet somebody that I connected with, I mean, I guess, yes, it would depend on the circumstances, I guess. I have a different question. Would you date someone who is a drinker? Like a a regular? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay. So no hangups about any no, of that. I mean, that's something I had to work through myself even. Like I used to blame 
the alcohol and blame the drugs. But after learning like what addiction really is, like it really has nothing to do with that. No, that's not a problem for me. Okay. So this is just a personal anecdote, but on a very different level from what I understand, my husband also, he drank too much just to be totally clear. And it was never in like a scary way, but in a, it affected his body and therefore ultimately affected his death. So I have this thing where my boyfriend is a non-drinker. He has never drank at all. And I love it. I'm just like, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to, I drink way less now. I'm just, I have this thing about alcohol that I'm just like this. Yeah. I mean, it can be very triggering and it was for me a lot of years. And I don't think I want somebody like you just mentioned, like it would be a problem. I think if they just drank too much and you know, if it's kind of interfering with their health even. So yeah, it would, it would depend on the situation, but I mean, it's not a hard no, like they don't have to be completely sober. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. Did you and do you feel the widow's fire? You know, no. Like, I don't know why that never happened to me. It was very interesting because I would hear about this. And it's just, I don't know, that wasn't like really a big thing for me, interestingly enough. Yeah. So this is personal. You can choose not to answer. But sure. Did you have an active sex life with your husband? I mean, we did. I mean, you know, obviously when he was like really deep into his addiction, like that's just, you know, like it wasn't really an option a lot of the time. But I mean, when things were like going well, then yes. Yeah. Okay. So let's do song recommendations and then I'll end with the final two questions. Okay. So one of them was Forever by Rascal Flatts. Yes. When I'm really in my grief and I just really want something to like validate my sadness and that he was just taken away like too soon. That's kind of what I find comfort in yeah because i don't know all the words like they just really speak to that like losing somebody too soon okay and then the other one was glitter glitter i don't know it it's such an amazing grief song like he sings about grief and i think that's kind of like a song where i just find hope and it just kind of talks about grief like it's glitter like it's messy the messiness of it but Mm. like also just like you're still in life and there's so much life to be lived And just, I don't know, it's a very, it always gives me hope when I listen to that song. Awesome. I love that. So last two questions. The first one is, what do you feel like you've learned or how have you changed the most since Justin's death? Um, That's such a good question. I mean, I've changed so much. Like I'm such a different person now. And I just think I've just really learned empathy and to just, you know, I've, I've learned to just sit like with difficult feelings and just really sit in darkness and just I don't know I just think the way I look at the world is just so differently now I mean it sounds crazy to say this but it's like I really am grateful for everything almost that I've gone through with him like he just taught me so much like in his life and even after death now like it's just I mean it's weird to say like I love the person that I've become because of Mm -hmm. all of this. And I wish I could have been this person when he was alive. Yeah, I think that is an incredibly relatable sentiment. I mean, I feel that exact same way. It's like, I love the life I'm living now. I wish it was with him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the last question is, what's one thing you're really looking forward to? I mean, I think just kind of really getting to know myself better, this new me, and also just kind of seeing what else life has in store for me, you know, just, I don't know, I'm just kind of open to whatever, whatever comes and to really just live, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you see yourself staying in the United States or? Yeah, no, I think I'm pretty much 
settled here. I can't imagine going back, you know, and his family. I mean, they are like my family, you know, and it's like, I want that for my kids. And so, yeah, no, I don't see myself moving back. Okay. Yeah. Sarah, this was really great. I'm positive. It's going to be so helpful for so many people. Thank you for all the work you're doing and doing the conversation. Yeah. And thank you so much for having me. And I appreciate you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) All right. We'll talk soon. Bye. Bye. Just another huge thank you to Sarah for her vulnerability and all of the content she's created over at Little Pocket Widow on Instagram. And that is going to be all for this week. We'll see you all soon.